Welcome to This Week in the 90s, brought to you by Alive and Kicking, the original 90s football podcast. A podcast Twitter feed that now has more followers than its host, which I'm very pleased about. Thank you everyone um, to who has followed us. Uh, we sent a tweet out yesterday about Grandstand, which went down very well, so hopefully you, you all enjoyed that. Uh, as much as we enjoyed our previous full-length episode, where me, Joel, and Andrew Rayburn, the returning Andrew Rayburn, picked out Uncapped 11. There's some great names that you guys uh, picked out as well uh, after the show, so thank you everyone who got involved in that as well. Um, friend of the show, Daniel Parry, went one step further, and he tweeted last night, tried to do an England one-cap wonders of the 90s 11, which is stretching a little bit, because he found out he could, didn't have a goalkeeper or a right-back um, in his one-cap wonders 11, where the closest he got was um, Gary Charles on two and Dave Basson on two, not David Barsley, because he deserved more, but well done, Daniel. Uh, maybe it's something we'll tackle at some point, but I think you were limited. I saw D White playing up front, and I thought it was Devon White, and I was like, I'm sure he never got an England cap, but obviously he meant David White, who played for England against Spain in 1992. So yeah, so I hope you enjoyed that. Um, let me introduce my guest, obviously, guests, they're not guests, they're regulars, of course. Um, firstly, he's fresh off uh, some more writing about the Cup Winners' Cup, we'll talk about a bit about that later. Um, uh, he is a writer for many players' outfits, like Sportsman, Tifo Football, some other stuff. Matthew Christ, welcome back, how you doing, sir? Oh, very well, thanks. It's good to be back after my international break last week. <laughs> yeah, you were on international break. Anyone we missed in Uncapped 11 that you might want to mention? I I was just thinking that when I knew you. I thought you were going to go to Joel first, like you normally do, and leave me till about 20 minutes into the show before <laughs> introducing me. But um, no, I don't think I think, so. we, got, I think, I think you, we covered everyone. Yeah, I think you covered everyone. I mean, I, would, I obviously think Steve Bruce was a player that never really... Got the credit he deserved as an England player, but um, maybe I'm slightly biased there. But uh... no, I don't. Well, we said, well, as we said on the show, the Steve Bruce conundrum. We never really understood why it seemed to be a very personal thing with Graham Taylor that just didn't fancy him for for whatever reason and preferred Keith Cole. I don't know. Mm. No, nothing against yeah. Keith Cole, but you can have the title winning captain, or you can have Keith Cole. But yeah, that was Graham Taylor's prerogative. Yes, you mentioned Joel. He's here. He's a little bit suffering, but he's feeling fresh today. Of course, he is a, a social media mogul for currently 11 sports. Joel, are you feeling better today? I am feeling a little bit better. Yeah, obviously, this would have been a day early, but uh, you know what I'm like. I'm always a day late and a dollar short. So, uh, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I do apologise to everybody listening, but there you go. Uh, yeah, I went out, got a bit silly. Went out on Monday night, came back Tuesday night. So that was... Uh, That's like a student. Quite... It really was like student yeah. Yeah. Get you. And then woke up, woke up on Tuesday morning and carried on, which is something I have done for a long, know. long, long time. I don't know if I you didn't, do that. You didn't fall off a shed roof, did you? No, I didn't do anything <laughs> like that. I just um, I sent a few um, I sent a few texts that were probably... You could describe them as being ill-advised. But um, beyond that, I was all right, I think. Oh. I'm, I'm I'm pleased that I didn't get an ill-advised text. That's I mean, I'm, although I'm, yeah. I'm I'm disappointed I didn't get one that was more loving in your in your drunkenness. I did I did uh, I did declare undying love. So don't worry about that. <laughs> you also did your Middlesbrough twenty three. That was a good tweet going around, wasn't it? I did my QPR one. Maybe we should do a show like that at some point. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I was quite happy. Although I did get told off for putting Bamford in and not Merson, which I think, in retrospect, I agree. Mm. Yeah, Patrick Manford. Well, you know, each to their own. Matthew, you need to get involved. Did you see that tweet? There was a, I can't remember who, who did it first, but basically you had to pick a 23 of your lifetime of your team, which was quite interesting. 
I'll, do, well, I'll have to jump on that. Yeah, yeah. Get, brought go, that to my attention. Yeah, do a main night. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll do a 90s one at some point. I got told off for forgetting Paul Parker, which I am very sorry about. I, I switched him for Daddy Shitty in the end, uh, which was right. Anyway, let's get on with today's show. Um, you may have, we are recording this uh, on in the daytime. We don't normally do that as well, so this is different for us. Um, but it's on the 13th of September, and you may have seen it already tweeted around today, even by the man himself. It's 21 years to the day, 13th December 1997. Just done it. Ian Wright broke Arsenal's goal-scoring record with his 178th, 9th and 180th goals for the club in a 4-1 win at Bolton, overtaking Cliff Baston, a record that had stood since 1946. Um, Ian Wright is somebody we, we've briefly talked about. What do you remember about this day? Um, forgetting the, the wrong goal and the wrong shirt at the wrong time. I remember that happening uh, as well. Do you remember this, Matthew? Yes, yeah, of course I remember it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, from a bigger picture, really, with with Ian Wright, I think it's just a it's just a great story, isn't it? From yeah. start to finish, because if you look at it, I should know this because I was looking at uh, doing a bit of research earlier on. But the, the age in which he was when he he broke this record is, was astonishing, really, because bear in mind he had quite a long time at Palace. He'd broken both legs at Palace within about a year of each other. Um, and I'm not saying he was written off, but there was a lot of people saying that he'd had his chance and he was, he was beyond his best. So when he went to Arsenal, he was all, you could almost have excused him, not not to be over the hill, but to the thought of him going on to achieve what he achieved in a relatively short period of time. And for someone who'd had quite a few hurdles put in his way during his career, I think it's a real, uh, it's a real sort of happy ending story for him personally. I mean, obviously from a club point of view, it's a tremendous achievement because uh, he scored, that was, he scored the, the, it's about 230-odd games he scored. It was something ridiculous, a goal-scoring ratio. He got these goals in, wasn't it? So it was in a, a real short burst of time. So um, something, again, I mean, I must have said this so many times when we do these shows, is that you don't realise until you look back just what an achievement it was. But um, I obviously remember him breaking the record. But it was almost just something that happened at the time. You just expected him to score because he always scored. Mm. 185 goals and 288 appearances across, what, five years? That Yeah. I mean, I think that's... we were a bit blasé with stats in this era because of the Ronaldo, Mes- Ronaldo? Ronaldo Messi factor. I think we were a bit, unless they're scoring like that, you don't really think of it. But it's, now that stands it's, up, it's, it's stood up. It's there. tremendous. I mean, if you'd done that over a 10-year, 10-12 year stint at the club, you'd go, I mean, I should have looked to see how long it took Cliff Baston to, uh, to do it. But, you know, it's... It, it's, it's in a, Maybe 400 a, games for the quick cliff busting. Uh, good one. I was stalling there, waiting for someone to uh, <laughs> no, type I, it I away. I'm looking at 396. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, there you go, you see. I mean, he's done it in almost two-thirds of the time that, that Baston did it. And obviously, um, his record didn't, it didn't last. It was broken. But in terms of how he did it, what he'd had to overcome to do it, and the timescale that he did it, I think, it, you know, for sort of bonus points, it, it puts him up there as probably one of the one of the greatest goal-scoring achievements for, for any club, really, let alone Arsenal. And uh, something that, obviously, we look back on. And uh, uh, right, he likes to wear a flat cap. And if I was wearing one now, I'd, I'd tip it to him yeah. for that achievement. He likes to you got to remember as well, Cliff well. Bastin did it in the 1940s and 50s when football was rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> you know, old, old football. Yeah, but, but he would say that he did it when... He, did, he would say he did it with a heavy leather football on a muddy pitch where defenders could kick lumps out of you. So I suppose it does equal itself out. Uh, playing devil's advocate. Yeah. Well, you're looking at achievements as well on that. He won the Premier League, two FA Cups, a League Cup, a Cup Winners' Cup. He was Golden Boot winner in 1992. Um, 
Do you think, Joel, because he never really got international recognition, 33 caps, nine goals, is unless you're outside of outside Arsenal, do you think Ian Wright's slightly overlooked in terms of how good of a goal scorer he really was? I think he's he's one of them that, obviously, if, if he plays for you, then you're in love with him. But if he doesn't play for you and no doubt scores against you, because I always remember him scoring against us, uh, you know, he's going to be one of those that everybody's got a niggle about, and then you've yeah. got the sort of—he had that kind of wide boy image at the time. You know, we've we've talked about the record that he released before. You know, and he was sort that of quite a bit, of a, a bit, yeah, and the hat and the flash Harry stuff going on that he had. And so you kind of like—I suppose a lot of the time it was difficult to warm we and right, but mostly because he scored against you all the time. I mean, that the record's incredible. It's twenty-six goals in a season, then 30, 35, 30, 23. 30, and then in his last season at Arsenal, it's 11. Yeah. I mean, that's just nuts, really, to have every single season but one who scored more than 20 goals. I mean, that's just ludicrous it is. I, I uh, forgot this was in September this do you, I, I don't know why maybe it's tinted spectacles because it was so sunny that day this, this Bolton game I always assumed it was towards the end of the season but he only scored five more goals after this um, for Arsenal before um, uh, leaving to join uh, West Ham United as he did that summer after winning the Premier League but yeah I, I, but also we also remember as I said at the top he he scored the first goal in the game and got overexcited and, and thought he'd broken the record and lifted the top up and he had the one seven nine just done it even though he'd actually just equaled the record and not beaten it so he had to then score again which he did and then scored a third anyway. Um, uh, there's a great article on the BBC today um, with Ian Wright talking about that. I wasn't going to read the whole of it because it takes quite a while, um, but he talks about the memory of that day and how he wanted to break the record uh, a couple of weeks before because they played Tottenham. But in hindsight, doing it on a sunny day at Highbury. Um, it was probably the the, the better way. Um, Favourite Ian Wright goals, gents? Um, Matthew, coming to you first. Is there any goals that stick out from that era of, of Ian Wright for you? Well, I wouldn't say a, f- a favourite, but uh, one or two that certainly stick out and um, probably for the wrong reasons. But again, showing the kind of guy he was and hurdles that he had to overcome was the 1990 FA Cup final. Um, yeah, of course. Obviously, I don't know whether you remember, I'm sure most people do listening to this, but... Uh, Palace played United. Both teams had a pretty ropey season. United were battling relegation for a lot of the season, along with Palace. Um, you know, it looked like United were going to win the game 2-1 up with a, 20 minutes or so to go. And uh, Steve Coppel brings on Ian Wright, who I think he'd broken his leg earlier that season. And I think he'd broken another his other leg the season before that. He'd had two leg breaks within about 18 months. And, uh, you know, many people could have suggested that his career was, was almost over. And... Uh, on comes Ian Wright, uh, super sub himself, uh, brings it back to 2-2, uh, takes the game to extra time, and then early in extra time he scores again, uh, puts Palace 3-2 up, and it looks like there's going to be a shock on the cards, and uh, obviously Mark Hughes crops up and equalised 3-3, and then United won a dour replay the following Thursday to win the Cup, Fergie's first Cup, blah, blah, blah. But um, what an impact player, and obviously Coppel knew what he had up his sleeve, he knew what he was capable of, and he, he knew he was the kind of he was that sort of personality that he probably just said to him, "Get on there and get me a goal." And, and Ian Wright basically ran on and did exactly that, and, and very, very nearly won won the cup for Palace. I don't know if you remember the goals, but I mean, one was a sort of far post volley, and yeah, another one where he another one where he sort of sidestepped uh, Palace, I think it was lunging in, and then slotted it in the corner, and it was it was, it was fantastic impact for. For the sort of half an hour that he was on the pitch, I mean, it could have been one of the greatest substitutions we've ever we've ever known if Palace had gone on to win the final. But um, for obvious reasons, I just remember that. Obviously, there were like huge moments in his Arsenal career, but I just remember visions of him scoring for Palace that day, 
and sort of running off in wild celebration and everyone jumping on top of him and uh, it was just classic Ian Wright and like I say from what he came from and when, and he wasn't that young then I mean he must, must have been in his late 20s then yeah. so uh, to, to then go on to what he achieved at Arsenal was one hell of an achievement mm. I think that's my favourite FA Cup final Think it was. it's one of the best yeah. for years I mean everyone says now that I think everyone refers back to the West Ham Liverpool, Liverpool yeah. one of 06 now but for years, everyone said that was the yeah. greatest one. The only problem with that part, that cup fight was it was ruined by the replay. So yeah. often it happened with, with replays. I suppose in hindsight, if it had gone to penalties and been settled on the day, then everyone would have said it was the greatest one in decades. But um, it was good. But then obviously we all had to go back on the Thursday and it was one of the most miserable cup finals you've ever seen. And by top it. of the pops was delayed. <laughs> oh, of course, you must have been absolutely good. Did you write to the BBC? And oh, I, I certainly did some fist shaking, yeah. <laughs> At least Lee Martin got his moment, eh? Yeah, good old Lee Martin. What about for you, Joe? Any, right, I was just looking. I only remember one goal he actually scored against QPR. I don't really remember it. I was actually wondering if he'd ever scored against QPR, but he did in the season we got relegated in a 3 0 defeat. I don't really remember that one. But um, for you, I mean, what, what goal stand out? Well, it's. I'm just the only thing that's mega popped into my mind on this one is he played in the England game, didn't he? In Italy, where he needed to get dropped to go to the World Cup. Yeah, and I just always remember his reaction afterwards. Like he couldn't have been happier that we'd done it. We battled through it, and he. I, I know the game was only nil nil, wasn't it? But yeah. he didn't half battle and he didn't half slog that day. And it was one of them days where you could never really accuse the England players of not caring. He missed that chance, didn't he, as well, at the end? where yeah, yeah. yeah, he hit, did he hit the post or did it go wide? Hit the, hit the post. Hit the post, me, yeah. And then they went up the other end and uh, Vieri nearly scored, didn't he? He seemed to make yeah. that save in one of those sort of heart-stopping moments and stuff. But I remember, I mean, two goals to cut for me from Ian, right? Um, the goal against Everton at Highbury, I think it was uh, when they had that... Um, Montage of fans on the on the back stand because they were doing that stuff to the stadium. Where he flicked a mural, it. Over, a mural. That's it. Mural. That's the word I was looking for. Um, he flicked it over one defender's head, then flicked it back again, and then kind of volleyed and looped it over. I think it was goal of the month for ninety two, ninety three ish. Um, and then a go against Swindon. I think if it was a chip in a, one of one of Swindon's many routes that season. Barb when they played QPR, obviously. Um, but he 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 was kind of a, he could score a lot of different goals. I always thought him right as well. He didn't just he wasn't just your your fox in the box as as uh, Arsenal famously said or anything like that. He could score he could score spectacular goals. Maybe not. Aerially, he wasn't probably the best in the air, but very much instinct impact player, right? So, yeah, on this day, 21 years ago, I mean, I, th- I think the only thing, the caveat to this is that I don't think anyone expected Thierry Henry to then go and break it five years later as he did, um, seeing as mine as Cliff Baston took, what, nearly a quarter of a century to, to overtake him, but then Thierry Henry did it five years later, of course, even a phenomenal other player, but that's for another podcast. And, when football was slightly different. Not as crap as in the 30s and 40s, as Joe said. So apologies to anybody who's running a 30s and 40s podcast. I'm sure you appreciate the football of that time. Anyway, anything else to say on him, right, guys? No, should we move on? No, I think we've all uh, given him the credit he deserves. Yeah. Chicken tonight? No? Okay, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> 40, what a terrible advert. Uh, 14th of September 1994. This is a little bit apt because we're getting back to Champions League stuff next week. Uh, now we're over this. Lot. How long has this international break felt? It's been really long. Um, despite the UEFA Nations blah, blah, blah thing, whatever it is, and I still don't really understand it. Um, but on the 14th of September 1994, Man United played Gothenburg in the Champions League. Uh, quite an innocuous game, really, in terms of what happened on the day. A 4-2 win for Man United. Gigs twice, Konchelskis and Sharp on the score sheet. 
but it was the first group game played on English soil. First proper Champions League group game. Uh, before we get to the sort of ins and outs of what happened in the format, uh, Matthew, our main eye man, do you actually remember this game at all? Yeah, I remember. I was going. I was there. I, I oh, was going all the games then because um, we had Galatasaray in the group. Uh, we had Gothenburg and we had Barcelona. Um, I went to all those games. I went to Barcelona away when we got tonked 4-0. Um, but yeah. is, that the famous, is that the famous one where there's the picture of Gary Pallister and it looks like he's just staring at uh, Romario's legs? Yeah, Romario was absolutely dying about that. Yeah, Storchkoff and Romario absolutely tore us about £252 I paid to fly to Barcelona, go straight to the ground, watch the game, get a bus straight back to the airport and get back. And uh, well, yeah, but you'd made that in gambling. Took the words yeah, out of my mouth, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, good job. A traveller coming the week before, eh? Yeah. But, um, yeah, but going back to this game, yeah, it was. It's funny this because I was, I was watching. I was obviously there, but I don't even. You know, it didn't ring true at the time. But watching the game back earlier on today, it's funny how United's relationship with with the European Cup really was quite strained in the first those sort of early years of winning the league. I mean, now it's almost a given that if you win the league, you've got to, you've got to win the European Cup or Champions League within a couple of couple of seasons. But then it's almost how I think the City's relationship is with the Champions League now. It's almost so, as though winning the league was a be-all and end-all and the, and the European Cup was just a bit of a, an added bonus. And, and you can tell that by, if you watch the reruns of this game, Old Trafford is no, by no means full. The whole of the lower tier of the North Stand's empty. There are huge sections of of seats that are empty and um, it's just weird because now the Champions League is the be-all and end-all and it's the biggest thing going and um, then it just seemed like a bit of a not a distraction but it was more a bonus I remember people just thinking oh I want to go to that game because I want to go to Barcelona oh I want to see them play oh, it, no one really thought it was an opportunity to win win the biggest cup there is and I think that's that was United's biggest downfall I mentioned this before in the um, in the show when we discussed it for those years I think United really Really didn't capitalise on the great team they had, and probably should have, and could, and should have won. What the foreigners' rule used to do for them, didn't it? Every, it like, did, it did. But I'm sure they, Dennis yeah. Irwin is a foreigner, and yeah. But I mean, I'm oh, sure it was the same. Was, I'm sure it's the same for everyone. I mean, you, you'd, if it was the case now, you'd adapt. But um, I, I don't know. Just looking back, I mean, Gothenburg. If you look at the, what happened in this group, Gothenburg actually won the group. United yeah, finished. I was surprised by that. Yeah, they were a great old name of, of European Cup, Gothenburg, weren't they? Um, uh, United finished uh, on level points of Barcelona, third uh, third on goal difference, meaning they were eliminated. I remember the final game of the group, we had Galatasaray at home and had to win and hope Gothenburg got a result. At Barcelona, United won 4-0. And rumor, in the old days, as they did with transistor radios, rumour went round that Gothenburg had got a result at Barcelona and everyone went mad, but it wasn't true. Um, <laughs> Not surprisingly, um, great those rumours. You don't get those now because everyone can just prove <laughs> yeah, it by looking yeah. at their phone. But uh, um, yeah, a, 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 an interesting campaign, one where United were very wet behind the ears. I mean, this game probably proved it because they it was a, it, obviously Gothenburg went on to win the group, so they were a good team. But they, this game really toed and throwed, and there were, there were goals flying in at both ends. I just I just don't think United were professional enough in Europe as they should have been as they went on to be in, in sort of five or six years later than this. But, but I um, think the, 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 the ban on the English clubs knocked us back. It, set, back, it set us back, yeah. yeah. It did set us back. But then bear in mind, United had come straight back from that ban and won the Cup Winners' Cup. So, you know, and teams had teams had, had come back and bounced back. Obviously, none of them had actually won the main European Cup. Leeds, Leeds had done OK, yeah. I believe. 
before this. But um, no, I just think from a United point of view, I think I think they really did sort of didn't capitalise and should have done. And if you if you look at the old results from those first few seasons back in Europe, then um, that, that that is that is proven. Because it did take United a good few seasons before they even threatened to. I think about '97 they uh, they got to the semi-final, didn't they? And it looked like they actually could have been on for winning it. But um, but entertaining to you know, if nothing else, entertaining days watching it. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, the, the, what happened with the Champions League is quite confusing in terms of they were really changing the format at this point because uh, the Champions League this was the first season it was actually called the Champions League as well from start to finish instead of just being the European Cup towards the end of the of the uh, tournament um, and this was the first time they bought in the initial group stage so the previous two seasons from bear with me from 1992 had group stages in the latter stage so the final stages were split into two groups but from this season, 94-95, they introduced the first group stage for the first time. There were four groups. And as we mentioned, um, Man United winning Group A with IFK Gothenburg, Barcelona, Man United, um, Galatasaray. Uh, so this was the first kind of Champions League as we know it before. I'm also there's more groups now. In a weird quirk, the, some of the smaller nations who'd won their domestic league went into the UEFA Cup, which I found no reason really why they did that at the time. But which was a bit weird, and eight teams for the first time advanced to the knockout round. Um, it was all to do because UEFA's contract with the EBU, the European Broadcasting Union, had come to an end. So really, it was down to money and te- television companies wanting more of this European football. So therefore, they expanded the Champions League and we had this group stage for the first time. Uh, Joel, you're back with us after somebody being at your door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, I've just had some big trainers delivered. Uh, uh, let me guess, they are Adidas. They're Adidas, yeah. Of course they are. Uh, group stage of the Champions League. Um, let's stick our old men hats on now. Uh, Joe, is it better back in the old days when it was just the European Cup and straight knockout? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Simple as. <laughs> why, why is that? Well, do you just think that... Because it, I think it's harder to do for a start. You know, you can lose games in the Champions League and still win it. And it's all yeah. about... It's all about money, isn't it, really, for the big clubs, keeping yeah. the bigger clubs happy. I mean, ever since it went on to BT Sport, um, it's it, it's just absolutely lost its shit. You, you wait till eleven. You wait till eleven sports get the contract. You'll be singing its praises <laughs> and saying it's, saying it's the greatest cup competition in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's um, no, I think I think because obviously because I'm a Middlesbrough fan and Borough are never ever going to play in the Champions League. So to me, it's of no interest particularly. You know, I'm one of them where you always want to see the English clubs do well. But ever since uh, it moved from Sky to BT, just, I don't know, it's just lost a lot for me. Yeah. Although there was the great goal. Who, who was it who scored in the last one? Bale. Gareth Bale. Was it Bale? No, no, sorry, the one the, the one the year before, the cracking one, where it was, was it Juventus Barcelona? Oh, Manzudic. Yep. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, that's the cracker one. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I didn't even watch the European Cup final last year. Yeah. So, uh, one caveat I would say, well, one sort of devil's advocate. I mean, I do think the old European Cup was probably harder to win. But if you do look at some of the, some of the, I think Liverpool won it in 77 or 78. Yeah, and they got a, about five years in a row. Cause yeah, but I mean, they only, they Liverpool only quite. Then. Quite often, Liverpool had a buy, and I'll be corrected on this, but they had a buy. I think it was in the '78 European Cup uh, because a number of teams dropped out, and there was an odd number. So, uh, so Liverpool got a buy. I think they only ended up playing about four games before getting to the final. So there was there were years where um, where you could get to the final after only playing a, a handful of games. But I just think it's been so gerrymandered now to make it 
appealing to people. And if anything, I think it's turning a lot of people off. You know, personally, I think that obviously TV figures might disprove that. But from a personal point of view, I think if uh, everyone says, oh, the competition doesn't really get going until the knockout stages, well, then that's simply my opinion. Get rid of the group stage yeah. and just start the knockout stage yeah. and, and stop messing with it. it. it there's too many group games that are just innocuous by the even by the second or third game because of the way the group's already panning out and how lopsided some of the groups are. That's that's my sort of issue. I kind of, you know, I gave up BT Sport last season because I just wasn't watching enough. So I usually catch the highlights on whatever ITV decide to do. And even by the end of... You know, when they do like group whatever and you watch two teams that have got no chance of qualifying, not yeah. even group, for the, group H. Group H, yeah, and, and not no chance of qualifying for the uh, even for the Europa League. It's yeah, I think it has lost a little bit of clarity. It's, it's far too gerrymandered. The fact they're not you know, clubs can win a league and then they start to play three qualification yeah. rounds before they get to the group so, I mean basically they just want Real Madrid, Man United, Liverpool, uh, Barcelona, Bayern Munich. Blah 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 in the knockout stage, don't they? Yeah. So they might as well just cut. They might as well just cut out the middleman and go. Well, we're just going to let them go through it. Well, it's interesting because I was going to come on because we've heard this. I don't. You must have heard this announcement this week that UEFA have said that they're going to bring in a third competition once again. Obviously, we're big, you know, fans of the Cup Winners' Cup here because that we grew up with that. Um, they haven't said what format it is going to be. I doubt it would be something like the Cup Winners' Cup because apparently that lost its luster towards the end. But do you think that's what they may do then? Do you think the Champions League will become? almost a European Super League and then the Europa League and this other new competition for the smaller teams. Is that something they that would work? I don't know. What, what do you think, guys? Well, I, I'd, be, I'd be for it because I love the European the Cup Winners' Cup. But then yeah. again, I'm of a generation and we all are of a generation when that kind of thing meant a hell of a lot to us and still does. But I thought the whole point, the whole fact that the Cup Winners' Cup went downhill was because people just generally weren't interested in it. And you've, got, you've only got to look at the reaction to the Europa League um, yeah to see how people aren't interested. I mean, me personally, I went to a lot of United games in the Europa League when they were in it the other season. And if they got into it again this season, I would love to go to places like Bratislava and what have you. But that's me looking at it from a, a point of view where I go. To, I like going to games just for the, the day out. And, the, you know, I'm not, I'm not particularly... The fast like I, yeah. Yeah, I'm not like I was when I was 10, 11, 12. It's not the be-all and end-all. But, um, so I'd be, I'm amazed that they're thinking of bringing in this third competition just for the fact that the, everyone ridicules the Champions League so much, uh, the Europa League so much. Uh, what on earth are they going to think of a, a third competition? I'd, I'd, I'd love to know on what basis they, they're making yeah. that decision, if, if they are. Yeah. Well, they've confirmed it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, Joe, you're somebody who's seen your team win one of the you know so-called lesser competitions, um, or get to the final at least. Um, what, what, do you, what would you make of this sort of a third competition? I think for a club like Borough, it was absolutely exceptional and like you know some of the most fun you could ever have as a middle fan you know McLaren sticking nine forwards on and you know <laughs> you know doing it twice against Basel and Stour Bucharest have I even told the, told the Stour Bucharest story probably not because it's not very 90s but while we're on the subject no it's not it's 2000s yeah. but yeah. it's when I was DJing in Middlesbrough at a place called the Corner House and uh, Stour Bucharest had booked one of the rooms to come and celebrate <laughs> their march to the UEFA Cup final um Bought all the champagne, prepaid for it, um, <laughs> and then obviously we beat them, and they never turned up. Did you did you <laughs> ring up the club and tell them to stick that on the dressing room wall? Because that's what any you know, whenever managers say, oh, yeah. I said in the paper that they were already planning their victory parade. The manager I would always stick already, that on the, think, on the dressing room wall. I think it was already out that they'd booked the club. Yeah. yeah. So, but we ended up with like a hundred bottles of champagne that Stato Bucharest had happily paid for, addition about to all the Borough fans in there. <laughs> 
<laughs> very happy with that. In, fair, in fairness, I think that does happen because I, I do some work with a, a big hotel here in Liverpool. Whenever there's a Champions League game here, the away team stay there and they always order like a, a winner's banquet and champagne. I, I suppose they feel they have to because if they don't, then they win. Uh, they come back in and there's only like crusty egg sandwiches. Or something. Yeah, so I suppose I suppose it's common procedure. Mm. But yeah, I think. I mean, by its very nature, it's going to be third rate, isn't it? Yeah. But do you know I mean, what? By it's, its very nature, it's going to be third rate. And then you've got to go, well, for teams like, and I'm just plucking Burnley out of the air, but for teams like Burnley, what's more important, like going and failing in the Europa League or this next competition, or to stay in the Premier League and concentrate on that? Because it's probably a blessing in disguise that Burnley have gone out of the uh, Europa League because now they can just go back to concentrating on their league you know week on week on week I thought the longer they went in Europe the more trouble they'd been in so yeah, I think the result the other week answers that question John to be honest I think they were, I didn't watch the game but I think from what I gather they were, weren't that disappointed I watched, the, I watched the first one where Gibson got sent off on his debut so that's good um, <laughs> oh bitter man <laughs> um but uh, he was unlucky, actually. Yeah. But yeah, it wasn't. I think they cared, but they didn't care enough by the end of the first leg. You know what I mean? I think it would have been nice sort of to continue and have a bit of a run. But um, yeah, by, just by its nature, it's going to be third rate, and it's like you know, are people going to be more interested in their leagues? Depends what the prize is at the end as well. You know, you, you can't tell me, Matthew, that Manchester United would have really been that interested in the Europa League had they not been a Champions League spot at the end of it. No, absolutely. The club wouldn't have been. I mean, the fans would have been. Well, a certain amount of the fans that would have got, you know, that it means a lot. I know guys that were absolutely desperate to win that tournament mm. because it was the first time United had never won the European Cup. So from a point that point of view, it was huge. But the club, I don't think, would have cared. And, and something I was going to say there is, what you've got to remember is when we're talking back to this halcyon day of of three cup competitions you only had one winner of the league went into the European yeah. Cup you had second place maybe third in the UEFA Cup but I mean initially it was the second place team went in the UEFA Cup yeah. and then, the and then you had the cup, yeah. cup winners going so you had three teams in one from one country going yeah. into various competitions already you've got four from each going into the Champions League so you're going to have four from each in the Champions League two from the Europa League and then if this this one this extra one that's coming on board you could end up having eight seven eight teams in uh, in European competition so I mean not only is it it's diluted enough as it is but um, to throw another load in there as well I just I, I'm, I'm for it from a sentimental point of view from a nostalgic point of view but I having seen what the reaction to the Europa League is I just don't know what, how they're going to sell it I really and when are they going to play it you know we already have games on Thursday night that nobody likes because Thursday to Sunday is different to playing from Wednesday to Saturday as we all know but when are you going to fit these games in they are going to dilute the Europa League slightly so there's less games but even so it's all going to be on the same night I, I would, I'm, these are answers we don't have at the moment but it's all very I like, like you said Matthew I'd like to know what basis they think a third competition is, is warranted if it was the cup winners I'd kind of like that it kind of makes sense because you should get such different sort of games but I suppose we also live in an era where the cup winners are generally already qualified for the Champions League so you get that well really. not necessarily I mean if you think back over the years you'd have had Wigan you'd, yeah yeah you'd have had I mean because now the cup seems so low down the pecking order you probably end up getting teams you know I mean there's the potential you could have had Wigan you could have had Portsmouth you could have had Cardiff you could have you know the teams that have got through in, in the last decade to the cup final haven't always necessarily mm. been the, the biggest names have they because the big teams Stoke aren't City. that close. yeah Millwall yeah. of course yeah so um, so from a if 
through my 80s and 90s spectacle, I'd say bring it back, but um, how and why and when, I just can't, yeah. I can't see. Remains to be seen. Um, the only other point I was going to say about Gothenburg, going back to our original story, do you know who was playing for Gothenburg and scored twice in that group stage? Did anyone notice? Jesper Blomqvist. Oh, Fergie never misses a trick, does he? It's clearly where he first no. noticed him. So I could, he's the only player I could, of note that from that squad because obviously they topped the group, which was quite amazing considering that Barcelona team. Wasn't their goal? Wasn't their goalkeeper in the World Cup, Sweden uh, World Cup team? No, I imagine. I'll see on this. On this, uh, I'll have to. I'll have to double check that one with you. But yes, he scored twice in the group stage. Yes, Golovski uh, scored against Barcelona um, at home in the Ulovi Stadium. Um, sticking with Europe for our last little point, um, this is from, not from the Cup Winners' Cup, this is from, well, what was the UEFA Cup, now the Europa League, and I'm going to say it, because I didn't really think it until I watched it over and over again today, one of the most overrated goals, probably, of the decade, if for me, as, as much as I rate the player, and we'll talk about that in a minute, um, Celtic 2, Liverpool 2, 16th of September, 1997, great game this, 2-2, um, but they, everyone talks about the goal, I've even seen it quoted as one of the best goals scored by an opposition player at Celtic Park, but... Joe, coming to you first, they just back off him, don't they? Yeah, the, yeah, he, he gets the ball sort of on the in his own half in the yeah. in, down Does... the right hand side, and just skips past everybody and fires it in. I mean, it's good fun, but I, I, I mean, I remember having a problem with this game at the time because I think this might be the first time I saw half and half scarves. Oh, uh, could be. Yeah, well, they've got that weird relationship, haven't they? Apparently. Yeah. You, in fairness, you did in the eighties and nineties. You quite often you'd see United hats with half Celtic, half Rangers, and I'm sure Liverpool had the same. So it might be slightly that might be a slightly skewed view, but yeah, I still don't. Like it, so. it, it was a very good goal, but there's nothing even approaching a challenge. No, that's what I mean. The first little bit of trick he does on the sort of halfway line, he sort of skips past the defender. Fair enough. After that, he doesn't really do anything else but run, and everyone just backs off, backs off. Yes, it's a good uh, finish. Hang on, hang on a minute. If you're going to go down that road, I would say to you, Ricky Villa, 81 Cup final, Maradona, there's a bit more, 86. No, there's a bit more skill involved in uh, definitely Maradona's. Ricky Villa's definitely in the box where his feet. You didn't mention Roy Wegley's goal, Ellen Road, in 1990, yeah. where there's definitely more skill involved. I just think they're, for those type of goals, I, I want to see a bit more skill from the player taking on defenders. Here, he kind of just runs at them and they just back off, which is no disrespect about, to Matt Manaman. But that's maybe because they feared that he has such quick feet and ability that they, uh, you know, maybe he did, he, he did all the hard work in his head. Possibly, uh, yeah. yeah. He probably scared the life out of the, you know, the defenders there and... Oh, by their very nature, the people like Tom Boyd and, and McNamara and Stubbs weren't of Premier League quality at that point in, in their careers. But I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I hadn't seen it for a while and I watched it and I was like, mm. much like our uh, Sashi Nakarani when we did our World Cup, it's called the Burkamp goal overrated, which is wrong, Sashi, and wrong. Um, I, I kind of thought this was slightly, but I enjoyed the game. Yeah. I don't know if you guys watched the rest of the goals. It, it was, a, I remember it being a good game at the time. I don't know, you're based in Liverpool. Is this a game you kind of recall much, uh, Matthew? Um, uh, I can't, uh, not particularly because it didn't really. Uh, no, not really. I mean, I remember. Yeah, I do remember it, but I mean, from my point of view, it uh, didn't really. Didn't really ring any bells, really. I mean, I must admit, I, I like him. Changing the subject slightly, I like McManaman as a player. I thought yeah. he was a fantastic player, and it, and it was that—that that was a very stereotypical. That was a classic Peter McManaman play, wasn't it? The way you—he would sort of loll up along the the, the the touchline and then cut inside, and he could shoot, and you know. So, um, you know, I, I was playing again. I was playing devil's advocate when I was saying a lot of individual goals don't have challenges coming in, but um, other than that, I think he, uh, yeah, I think he was a good, great player. So. Um, I'll give him that one. But in terms of the Celtic Liverpool game, 
I, I mean, I, I remember because I think at the time, I mean, I was still quite sort of annoyed by this quirk of English teams playing Scottish teams. You get it quite a lot more again with the expanded Champions League. But back in the nineties, there weren't too many instances. We'll talk about Rangers Leeds in a, in next month when that turns around. And that was a very, that was very early on in the decade. And I really, I was really up for that because Rangers were the very good Rangers team at that time, and Leeds had just won the league. I was really looking forward to those games. And and this was another one where you, you know the two. From either side of the uh, for the of the UK, I was really up for that, and it was kind of an anomaly at the time. So I was really captivated by this year. Well, the part of that reason is because half the, most of the Scottish teams aren't allowed to go in the Champions League anymore. That's, yeah. that's what's killed that because they have to win about five games before they can even get into the group stage. So we go back to what we were saying about the whole gerrymandering of the Champions League. I, I'd love to see. You imagine if United got Celtic or Liverpool got Rangers in the first round of the European Cup and a knockout. I mean, it would just be. A bit like that happened in ninety two. Yeah, we won't ruin it because we talk about it later. But um, you know that that had the nation gripped. But I I don't think it would now because it's almost just you know it's well. You say it's a lot of it's been diluted, but. Um, yeah, going, um, going back to Stephen Manham because he was a point. Yeah, that I was going to come on to Joel. We we kind of briefly mentioned it before. How um, I think he's underrated. We talked about Ian Wright earlier, but I think Manham. This is a guy that won the Champions League and scored in the final with the Real Madrid. Do you think? We underappreciate McManaman at the time. I think he's sort of one of those players that, um, certainly on a national level, you're always kind of suspicious of, you know. And I don't think you could ever say that he didn't do his do his best for England, you know, because I year '96 he was yeah. good fun and everything. So you can't ever think that. But I think we do have a suspicion of that sort of player, you know. If you look at it with Matthew Letizia as well, you know, there's always this kind of thing that you can't be that skillful, and we sort of tend to admire proper graft and tackles over skill I think a lot of the time and you know you don't play for Real by accident you don't win the Champions no. League by accident um, yeah it's um, a very peculiar one probably another one not utilised to his best yeah 37 caps for England I, I think you're right I think it's fair to say of those 37 caps I can't remember too many England moments obviously he was part of that year in 96 team but more oh. as a part of it rather than having one of the moments at that tournament um, three goals is not a great return, I suppose, for somebody of his ability. Maybe he's more—he was more of a Liverpool player than an England player, but certainly a Real Madrid player as well. Um, and and just, again, then Joe, going back to the English Scottish thing, was you a fan of watching those sort of games, the battles of Britons they used to be built? Yeah, Leeds Rangers is the one yeah. I remember because that was pitched as being a really, really, really big mm. deal. Yeah, um, obviously we'll get to that later on. They've still got a bit of spice about them. Yeah, but it just the Scottish League is. Falling off the cliff yeah. so much, yeah. and, the, and, and the English league has skyrocketed at the same time. So they're not really like the, the contests that you would perhaps hope, really. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, and and that's it. Just is what it is. You know, it's you know. I remember every time I go to Scotland, like you know, I end up chatting to some Scottish dudes, and they'll go, oh, "Who do you follow in Scotland?" I mean, you might as well ask me who I follow in like, Albania. I don't care. <laughs> you know? I've got problems with Middlesbrough without yeah. another team. I don't need a Scottish team, no. And if it's not mm. Rangers or Celtic, you're constantly going to be disappointed. Although when I used to play Championship Manager religiously, if I got bored, I used to take over Hibs and try and beat the old firm. Don't know why, randomly. I did it. managed to do it a couple of times, but I think that's a good challenge on, on football stroke Championship uh, Manager. Just to tie a bow on the actual game, um, it was uh, Michael Owen, 17-year-old Michael Owen, uh, gave Liverpool the lead. Uh, Jackie McNamara then equalised. Celtic then took the league through a penalty after David James had brought down seven. Last, um, not Seb Larson, Enric Larson, and then scored by Simon Donnelly, and then Manaman scored this, which I didn't realise how late on it was in, in the 89th minute. 
Um, so yeah, I mean that was uh, this week in the nineties. I mean it wasn't the uh, juiciest week, but I think we got through some quite European. You know, mumble you know something there. else that happened this week. Go on. In the nineties, I'm just trying to think. Or was it now? Or was it eighty nine? No, I was thinking Liverpool beat Palace nine 0 but that was eighty nine, wasn't it? Was that this week? Uh, it was this week, but it would have been October eighty nine. It was eighty nine ninety yeah. season. This so. week in the eighties. This week. Yeah, in the this 80s. week in the, almost in the. Right at the end of the 80s. Yeah. I just but, remember. I well, it, it was a season that went into the 90s. I mean, yeah, yeah you don't, yeah, 9-0, you don't get many of them anymore, do you? Unless you're in the Women's League and Man United win 12 nil as they well, did at the weekend. But Well, no, and it, and it nicely buffers the, the, the show because we were talking about that Palace team, how they yeah. managed to get to Wembley that season, beat Liverpool famously in the semi-final at Villa Park and then played United in the final. Ian Wright came on, scored two goals and... Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Also this week in the <laughs> 90s, uh, Stuart Houston took over at Loftus Road. There's a name that you haven't heard since as well. That was an ill-fated spell for Stuart Houston as manager of QPR with Bruce Rioch as his assistant. Very odd time at Loftus Road. Um, if you want to follow the guys, where can people get in touch with you on the social? Coming to you first, Joel. Uh, Joel, baby, Herc, Herc with a C like Hercules. Mm. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Twitter and uh, Instagram. You're a bit more. You're a bit more active and around now, aren't you? You've had. You yeah, I'm, ba- I'm sort of back again. I've just decided not to engage with idiots. Yeah, basically. Well, and if I see a, an argument going on, I just don't go near it anymore. Yeah. Whereas before, I would wade in. <laughs> so what the hell are you doing on this show? <laughs> <laughs> I like you too. Yeah, we, we debate. We don't argue, Matthew. And where can people debate with you on the Twitter? Uh, at Matthew J. Chris. There you go. Well, thank you very much, gents. You can follow the show at AK90s on Twitter and at K90s Pod on Instagram. Please do on Instagram. We're trying to build that uh, sort of sector of the pod up. And follow myself at Ashrose UK. Thank you very much for downloading. We'll be back next week. Oh, we've got a juicy one next week. Imagine Tina Espria scoring three goals against Barcelona and then Ronnie Rosenthal missing the an open goal more than you've ever missed in your entire life. Coming next week on This Week in the 90s. But until then, Keep it 90s. I love-